There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. Welcome to Revealing the True Light. This particular episode is titled Roman Catholic Beliefs, True or False. This one is very close to my heart because I was raised Roman Catholic by parents who were very fervent in their devotion to God and to the principles of the church. I attended Catholic parochial schools until I was about 12. The nuns who were teachers there were some of the kindest most humble, most self-sacrificing individuals I've ever known. Well, to be completely honest, there were a couple of nuns who were pretty fierce to deal with in grade school, but I don't blame them having to oversee so many children. I was also an altar boy and served under priests who were real role models of sincerity, gentleness, and devotion. They may not have understood salvation as I see it now, but they were very real in their love for God and their passion to serve others. Many years later, after I became a Christian, I began ministering in open-air gatherings in India with thousands of people attending, and some of my strongest support came from local Catholic churches, priests and nuns, who would gather together with me in the meetings to reach the Hindu people. Furthermore, I'm very aware, as I'm sure you are, that many Catholics are quite strong in standing for things that matter, upholding the sanctity of marriage, championing pro-life protection of the unborn, serving the poor, and withstanding social injustices. All of these things are very commendable. But unfortunately, during all my years as a Catholic, I was never taught the concept of being born again. That spiritual rebirth that takes place when the Son of God comes to live in the heart of a truly repentant and believing person. Yet Jesus promoted this experience as essential to salvation. In John chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, also Ephesians 3.17 says, Christ will dwell in your heart by faith, but I never knew that I should ask him by faith to come and dwell within me. Galatians 4.6 says, because you are sons, God sends forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And so this experience connects you with the Father in a very real and powerful and supernatural way. Once I received this personal encounter with the true and the living God, I became extremely zealous about reading the Bible, something that I was never encouraged to do when I was a practicing Catholic. And I was shocked and somewhat surprised when traditional beliefs I had once embraced wholeheartedly began to unravel before my eyes one by one. Now my heart cries out to help my Catholic friends find the fullness of truth. Incidentally, both of my parents did find the Lord 
And it was through my ministry. My mother was one of my first converts. And 12 years later, my father had a supernatural encounter with the Lord and then was filled with the Holy Spirit in one of my meetings. And so I saw how the reality of what the New Testament offers has come into my family full force. And I so desire to share this with other Catholics. In fact, I feel a holy responsibility to get this message to them. Now, this podcast, this particular episode is called Roman Catholic Beliefs, True or False. And I'm going to enumerate some of the things that I embraced as irrefutable truth when I was a Catholic in my younger years that now I question. And I want you to be open-minded. If you are Roman Catholic, please listen to this time of teaching, knowing that I love you and God loves you. And I agree that we believe in the same Savior. And we have some very similar causes that we are championing in a world that is very dark and in need of our alliance together. But these are the things that I feel need to be addressed. Number one is the exclusivity of the Roman Catholic Church. All the years I attended Catholic Church as a young person, I was told it was the only true church. On catholicscomehome.org, I read this statement. So it's still a belief that dominates in the Catholic Church today. It says the Catholic Church is the only church that can claim to be the one church founded by Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. Other denominations can trace their origins back to various human founders at a later date in history. Wow. The Catholic Church is the only church that can claim to be the one church founded by Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. But wait, we all trace our heritage back to that beginning on the day of Pentecost, when the disciples in the upper room were filled with the Holy Spirit. But see, they were not bound together by denominational affiliation. They were bound together by a common experience, the experience of being born again, the experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And of course, it was in a very profound way that it happened on that day, where the Holy Spirit came in the upper room like a rushing mighty wind, cloven tongues of fire appeared over each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. What a tremendous encounter. But that was what bound them together. They didn't belong to a quote-unquote denomination. See, the word church really refers to two different groups, one very large and the other smaller. The larger group consists of all those who profess faith in a historical Christ. That's the professing church, over two and a half billion people in this world. And Roman Catholicism numbers about 50% of that group. Then you have another group in the nucleus of the professing church that I call the possessing church. And that is a group of people who actually possess a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
they have received this experience of being born again, and they've received a new spirit and the indwelling of God's spirit as prophesied in Ezekiel 36 verses 26 and 27. They have been made alive in Christ. Ephesians 2.1 says those who were dead in trespasses and sins have been made alive in Christ, and they've been regenerated, born again, and the original word that is translated again in John chapter 3 is anathem, which means from above. They have been born from above. They have had an encounter with the true and the living God that transforms them internally, that transforms them supernaturally. See, that's what binds the possessing church together. Just like it was in the beginning, they have a common experience of a regeneration. Titus 3, 5 says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's not just theology. That is supernatural reality. And the true church is bound together by the experience of regeneration. You don't need denominational titles when you have this experience internally. In fact, the true church is not identified by organizational membership. It is a trans-denominational organism. It is a living body of believers, and you can find them in just about every major Christian denomination, those who have a real relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. See, in John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. And so he made it very clear that it's more important to know God than to know about God, that that is the key to eternal life. So the larger group is the professing church, those who profess faith in a historical Christ, who lived for 33 and a half years, was crucified, buried, rose again, ascended into heaven. They have that common faith or principles of belief. But then there's a possessing church that actually have a relationship with the risen Savior, which makes all the difference. And I, I desire to see that happen for every one of you listening that have never had the experience of spiritual rebirth Please seek God for it soon. The second belief of the Roman Catholic Church that I no longer embrace is the infallibility of the Pope. Now, this was formally declared in the First Vatican Council held July 18th in 1870. This belief is based on the promise that Jesus made to Peter in Matthew 16, 19, where he told Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, that was a Hebrew idiom. It meant that you set doctrinal boundaries for people, and you bind them away from what they cannot believe or should not believe, and you loose them or free them to believe or to practice the things that are correct. You set 
religious and spiritual boundaries for people. You bind and loose. However, this same promise was made to all the church in Matthew 18, 18. So it was not exclusive to just Peter. Therefore, it is not a right that is reserved to the Pope alone. See, it's a common inheritance of all who are promoting and proclaiming the kingdom of God in this world. We are revealing to people the spiritual boundaries that they should set in their lives. It wasn't a declaration of infallibility. Now, some people that are non-Catholics don't really understand this whole concept because most Catholics do not believe that the Pope is infallible in everything that he says. It's only when he speaks ex cathedra, which means those times when he's establishing church doctrine, Catholic church doctrine, initially given to the apostolic church and handed down in scripture and tradition. However, there are times in the past where I believe that popes have been totally wrong in declarations they claimed were infallible. A couple of glaring examples that non-Catholics would highlight are when Pope Pius IX declared the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception of Mary, that she was conceived without sin, and Pope Pius XII declared the doctrine of the Assumption of Mary, that she was assumed up into heaven as articles of faith in the Catholic Church. Yet neither of these doctrines are found in the Bible. They are extra-biblical, proclaimed by popes who declared infallibility in making those beliefs a part of the doctrinal base of the Catholic Church. I feel like believers outside of Catholicism would agree unanimously that no single man could ever be the sole vicar of Christ on earth, the chief representative of the Lord Jesus Christ in this world. The Bible says there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And surely there is not one primary spokesperson between Jesus and the church. If Jesus is the one who communicates the word to us, then certainly we can all look to him. Now, there are church leaders that are placed in positions of authority by the Lord himself. It is God who sets apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists in the church, but it never said in the Bible he would set one ruler over them all. It said that God gave apostles, that's in the plural, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, the fivefold ministry in the body of Christ to represent him and to fill various levels of ministerial authority. Now that's from Ephesians chapter 4 verses 10 through 12. And it is God who decides who to flow through with prophetic inspiration. It is not something that uh, can be claimed by someone who's only been voted into office by a convening of bishops and cardinals. I just cannot embrace that belief anymore, and I believe it's a belief that should be discarded. The third Catholic belief that I no longer embrace is infant baptism. Though the Bible is very supportive of infant dedication, 
there is no scriptural approval of infant baptism. The scripture explains he who believes and is baptized will be saved in Mark 16, 16. This is a clear indication that baptism should take place only after a sincere and knowledgeable conversion to Christianity takes place. Repentance is also necessary. Acts 2.38 says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So a candidate for baptism must be mature enough to understand repentance which is much more than just feeling sorry for your sins. It's a hatred of sin, a departure from sin, and a sincere yielding to the will of God. The Bible also never endorses the practice of sprinkling infants in the act of baptism shortly after birth. The very word baptism means full immersion. It is true that certain persons upon their conversion, had their entire household to participate with them in baptism. We can find that in the Bible, but the scripture never indicated they were infants uh, or children so young that they could not comprehend the meaning of the rite they were participating in. And a couple of examples are Lydia and her household in Acts chapter 16, verse 15. And the Philippian jailer, uh, the scripture says, he and all his family were baptized. That's Acts 16.33. But once again, it never said any of them were infants. Besides, the Catholic Church teaches that the original sin of Adam and Eve is removed from an infant at baptism. But once again, there is no scriptural proof of such a claim. All believers struggle against the sin nature even after true salvation. One convincing argument Catholics offer is this, that according to Colossians 2 verses 11 and 12, baptism has replaced circumcision and that circumcision was normally administered when a child was eight days old. At that age, of course, the Israelite son did not have the ability to understand the meaning of the ritual to which he was being subjected, but his parents had the authority to present him to the Lord. Now, this is a logical point, but there is no place in Scripture when infants were commanded to be baptized. However, there are Scriptures that say a child was to be circumcised on the eighth day, and the Scripture has got to be our authoritative source. This is the first program on beliefs of the Roman Catholic Church, true or false. And on the next episode, we'll be going into more like confession and penance and the priesthood and celibacy and purgatory. These are very important beliefs that must be addressed. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shreve's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.